From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for joining us on this Monday. Coming up, House Speaker Mike Johnson has put forward a measure to keep the government funded until the appropriations bills can be finalized. But the latter approach, which staggers funding deadlines, the first being in January and the second in February, does not change the spending levels. And it's drawing criticism from the left and the right. We cannot have a government shutdown this weekend. Um, Certainly not while we are facing these existential crises for our friends in Israel and Ukraine. Um, I don't like this laddered CR approach. It looks gimmicky to me, but I'm open to what the House is talking about. I was Democrat Senator Chris Murphy on NBC's Meet the Press yesterday. We're going to talk about it with Georgia Congressman Buddy Carter in just a moment. The lawlessness fostered by the left is hitting close to home at the White House. President Biden's granddaughter, Naomi Biden's security detail, Secret Service detail in Georgetown, reportedly had one of their vehicles broken into, prompting an agent to fire upon uh, the intruders. Now, violent crime is up 40 percent over the last year in the District of Columbia. So what's behind the violence and lawlessness? We're going to talk with Georgia Congressman Andrew Clyde who's been keeping this issue of D.C. crime before the Congress. That's coming up in just a moment. And U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres was on the airwaves this weekend, essentially serving as a mouthpiece for Hamas. It is clear that the protection of civilians that is paramount in international humanitarian law is not paramount in the strategy that is being applied by the military operations in Gaza. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was on NBC's Meet the Press yesterday pointing out what should be evident to anyone willing to see. Hamas is the one endangering their people for their political purposes. They're doing everything in their power to have their civilians hurt because they want this uh, ridiculous and wanton attack on Israel, uh, uh, this, uh, uh, on Israel's legitimacy to, uh, to take root. And unfortunately, people are giving into this. Let's not forget who started all of this. We're going to talk with Texas Congressman Keith Self a little bit later. Former President Donald Trump has been in a New York courtroom for over a month, facing charges of civil fraud brought not by an aggrieved party, but by New York Attorney General Letitia James, who appears to be politically motivated. Now, there's a question here. Could there be more to this than meets the eye? Is this a concerted legal strategy by the left designed to eliminate someone they could not beat politically? We're going to be joined by Mike Davis of the Article 3 Project a little bit later here on Washington Watch. I encourage you to tune in for that. Our word for today comes from Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Therefore, he, that is Jesus, is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he ever lives to make intercession for them. See, unlike the priest of the Old Testament, whose work of sacrifices and intercession before God for the people was temporary, they were never able to secure the permanent remission of sins with the blood of animals. Jesus, however, offered his blood, providing not temporary but eternal redemption. As the writer states in chapter 9, verse 12, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. That is salvation to the uttermost. You can't top what Jesus has to offer. And he ever lives to make intercession for us in the very presence of God 
to all who will call upon him and believe. To find out more about our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. Secret Service agents assigned to protect the president's granddaughter opened fire on suspected car thieves in Washington, D.C. last night after encountering three people breaking in a window on a parked, unoccupied government vehicle. Now, this comes at a time when skyrocketing crime plagues the nation's capital, as the district has seen more than 6,000 car thefts and 350 carjackings in 2023 alone. Earlier this year, Republicans in Congress stopped a soft-on-crime initiative by the D.C. government. Well, joining me now to discuss this is the House member who spearheaded this effort, successfully pushing through a measure that made sure that the District of Columbia could not go soft on crime. Congressman Andrew Clyde, he serves on the House Appropriations Committee and represents the 9th Congressional District of Georgia. Congressman Clyde, welcome back to the program. Well, thank you, Tony. Great to be with you this evening. So let me ask you, are you surprised uh, by what happened last night uh, surrounding the president's granddaughter? No, I'm not surprised. Uh, You know, outside the Capitol complex itself, I think Washington, D.C. is the wild, wild west. And, uh, you know, it's been almost impossible for the mayor to maintain any sort of of, uh, law enforcement because you are seeing what their policies, the you know, the consequences of their policies is over 1,100 Metro Police Department officers leaving the force. So they are down that many officers. So crime is on the increase here. You mentioned it. It's a 40 percent increase, carjacking, skyrocketing. It is a, it, it's really bad. And this is another reason why home rule has been a failure here in Washington, D.C., and why Congress has had to step in and, and uh, fix some of the issues that the Washington, D.C. Council and the mayor have caused. Now, before we get into the details of those specific uh, pieces of legislation, I want to go to the press White House press secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, today was asked about this incident. And this is what she had to say. Clip 10. We've been very serious on dealing with uh, the crime that we have seen just across the country. And we'd love to work with Republicans on this. They have not been serious on this. Uh, your response, Congressman? Uh, I think Republicans are the only ones who have been serious on this. We have brought forth two measures. One did pass into law. Uh, the other one, President Biden vetoed. And that and that one, H.J. Res. 42, was the actual piece of legislation that would have taken down the anti-police law that the, that the city council passed and that the mayor signed. Uh, And that law was responsible for the mass exodus of law enforcement officers in the city. When you don't have law enforcement officers, you're not going to have law enforcement. That means crime is going to be on the rise. So, so, you know, the White House press secretary, I don't know where she gets her her facts, but they're obviously not true. Uh, Congressman um, Clyde, this goes back to what we saw after 2020 with the whole defund the police of the left after the George Floyd incident. And this is we're now reaping what has been sown in communities all across the nation. My concern is I look at this lawlessness, that this is really at the heart of the left's policies. I mean, they they are sowing seeds of lawlessness. How do we how do we stop what is taking place all across this country? Well, Republicans have always been the party of law and order. And what you have seen is the massive increases in crime 
have been primarily at Democrat-run cities because they have been defunding the police, as you mentioned, and they have been making it harder for law enforcement officers to do their job. Um, they've been making it so that they're not respected anymore. And when law enforcement is not respected, then you know, you have a great increase in crime. And you're seeing that in Chicago, in New York, in Seattle especially. You know, these Democrat-run cities, Austin, um, where there is a huge increase in crime, and it is because of the Democrat policies, the soft-on-crime policies, where they believe that the police are the bad guys and the criminals are the good guys. And that's just, that's, that's wrong. That's completely backwards. Now, we, we know, and I'm, well, we know, but maybe we need to, to, to talk a little bit more about this. People don't realize that the District of Columbia, the Congress actually has jurisdiction ultimately over the district. And that's why you could pass legislation, a resolution through Congress that would uh, basically trump what the city had done. But even though D.C. has seen this 40 percent spike in violent crime, they're not alone. We're seeing this all across the country in major Democratic uh, run cities because of the softness on crime, but again, also because they've run out, they, they've run the police off. You're exactly correct. And, and Article 1, uh, Section 8, Clause 17 of the Constitution says that Congress has exclusive legislative authority over the city, the federal city of Washington, D.C. Now, our founding fathers were very wise men, and they wanted the Washington, D.C. to be a city for all America. And therefore, they gave the legislators the responsibility for governing the city. Well, in 1973, we gave that up for the most part and, and passed home rule, which was a huge mistake. And we have seen over the last 45, almost 50 years, um, where Washington, D.C. has been irresponsible in its running of the city. And so we see the massive crime increase. And that's been a serious problem. I, I don't want that. I don't think any member of Congress wants that for their constituents coming here to Washington, D.C. So we need to take home rule back. We can do that here through legislation. And I look forward to working with my colleagues uh, to that eventual end. Uh, Congressman Andrew Clyde, it, it looks like even uh, Governor Newsom out in California can get serious about crime if uh, motivated enough. Uh, in advance of uh, the, the Chinese dictator coming to San Francisco, He's actually cleaning things up, and he was asked about this. Play clip number nine. I know folks say, oh, they're just cleaning up this place because all those fancy leaders are coming into town. Um, that's true because it's true. What do you say? It's true. <laughs> well, they finally admitted the truth. You know, it's not for the people, not for American citizens living there that they're doing this. They're doing this for, you know, leaders coming in, for foreigners coming into the city. You know, that's an inexcusable. That's not good governance. That's 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 really, really pathetic. I, I want to with a couple of minutes we've got left. I, I want to go to something else in the District of Columbia. You know, considering the time, the resources that are being spent to continue to pursue January 6th defendants while criminals run wild in our cities, I mean, just Last weekend, not this, the weekend before last, we had this uh, mob storm the White House, pushing on the gates, putting paint all over. Not a single arrest surrounding the White House. What, what's going on? I mean, this looks like a two-tiered system of justice. 
Those were the exact words I was going to use, Tony. It is a two-tiered system of justice, justice, and it's a really sad fact that we're seeing this. And the amount of money that was expended on the January 6th rioters, that uh, uh, tremendous efforts by the federal government to prosecute these individuals. And yet what you saw in the 2020 riots, you know, the defund the police riots and what you see in the Palestinian riots in, or the, the, the in front of the White House where they vandalized the White House with red paint uh, and, and various slogans, the, the gates of the White House, you know, and no arrests, no prosecution. It is a tremendous two-tiered system of justice. That's why we have to deal with the FBI, the Department of Justice, when it comes to the appropriations, and everyone needs to hear that. We have to, we have to deal with a weaponized government here. The way we do that is we defund it. So the people listening need to con uh, contact their representatives and tell them that we have to deal with a weaponized FBI, and the way we do that is we take away their funding. And, and that obviously is something that's going to be ongoing as Congress is looking at these appropriations bills, and we're going to have to talk about that another day. But is there the will to get that done? Well, there's certainly, I certainly have the will to get that done, and there's certainly a lot of other members that do. But uh, there are a few here in the Republican Party that I think don't lack that will, but uh, need to, uh, need to uh, buck up a little bit, because these are government agencies weaponized against the American people. That yeah. should never be allowed to stand under any circumstances. Well, we want to get you back on to help uh, fan those flames because we agree with you. needs to be taken care of. Congressman Andrew Thank Clyde, you. always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Tony. Great to be with you. All right, folks, after the break, we're going to talk about the temporary funding mechanism right here. Don't go away. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. 
Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Monday. The website, TonyPerkins.com. With government funding set to expire um, Saturday, House Speaker Mike Johnson unveiled his government funding plan over the weekend, which extends funding until 2024 and removes the possibility of a bloated omnibus spending package from dropping right before the Christmas holiday. Now, the the plan includes a creative two-step laddered approach to funding which, though rare, has been used before in Washington. The Biden administration and Senate Democrats have criticized the idea. But earlier today, President Biden said he wasn't going to make a judgment on it, saying instead that he would wait and see what comes out of the talks between the speaker and Democrat leaders in the House and the Senate. With less than a week on the clock, would the White House allow a government shutdown? Well, joining me now to discuss this is Congressman Buddy Carter. He serves on the House Budget Committee, and he's uh, joining us from the House floor because he's got to go speak in just a moment. Uh, Congressman, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Thank you, Tony. Always a pleasure to be with you. All right, so so break it down for us. Explain to our, our viewers and our listeners what is being proposed, this two-step uh, temporary funding measure. Well, first of all, let me say that um, I applaud um, Speaker Johnson. I think this is a great idea, personally. Um, essentially, what we do, as you know, we have to have 12 appropriation bills passed. Our goal is to avoid an, a Christmas tree omnibus like we have experienced in the past. We we set that as one of our goals at the first of the year, that we did not want that to happen again. We don't want the government to shut down. We want the government to stay open. Uh, so, so this accomplishes both of those things. But, but what happens with this is that we take four bills. We take Milcon VA, T-HUD, that's Transportation and, and Housing and Urban Development, Ag and Energy and Water. We extend them through January 19th. Everything else we extend through February 2nd with, with clean CRs. Now, what that does is that gives us the opportunity to work on those four bills, the Milcon VA, T-HUD, Ag, and Energy and Water, until January 19th. If we can get them done, then we go ahead and, and conference with the Senate. We go ahead and, and get them signed by the, the president. They go into effect. And unless we don't have them done by January 19th, if we don't, then we're going to have to go to another CR, I suspect, or or they're going to have to close down. But if we can get those done, then the spending cuts that we will have in those and the policies and that will will be included in those will go ahead and take effect. I personally like that. I personally like the idea of 
of doing it as you can. You know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Right. Well, let's let's take these bites as we can get them, and then we go on and we work until February second on everything else and and try to get it done as well. So, Congressman Carter, let me let me just the, some of the criticism that's coming not from the Democrats but from the Republicans is as well. This doesn't cut any spending; it keeps everything. Uh, as it was under the, the Pelosi budget. And as you said, that's called a clean CR, meaning there's no changes to it. It's just a temporary uh, continuation until these appropriations bills are finalized. So what, what do you say to, to your colleagues who are opposed to this? Well, they are correct, and, and I get it. But the point is, is that we're not going to be able to get them done. Uh, we're not going to be able to get all 12 bills with the spending cuts done anytime soon, certainly not before January the 19th. And right. and why not go ahead and do what we can do until then? And, so, and I know that there, there may be a certain amount of leverage when you have all of them together, but right. I, you know, we, we've tried that and, and it hasn't worked. But, I, I, you know, I've always said Washington is about big ideas. This is a big idea, as you pointed out, never been done before. You, you I, made I, the I personally think we ought to try it. You made the point. Yeah, talk, talk about what hasn't been done before. But let's talk about what has been done before, as you alluded to. We see this almost every year where Congress gets jammed right before Christmas with this uh, an omnibus, as you call it, a Christmas tree. Everything is hanging on it. And either you, you you're forced to vote something for something at the last minute without even looking at it. This would this would uh, preempt that by saying, no, we're going to we're going to continue into January and February. That way you don't have the pressure of being forced into this at the end of the year. Absolutely, and that's one of the the good points that are that's to be made. There are three three good points here. First of all, that that is one of them that we we avoid the Christmas tree, this Christmas omnibus. The second one is that we can separate the CR from supplemental funding, and and we can we can debate funding for Israel, funding for Ukraine, funding for the Indo-Pacific separately. And, and it should be done separately because I guarantee you if we do this omnibus, they're going to include that in there, and it's going to be jammed right. down our throat. But the third thing it does is we avoid a government shutdown. And, and you know, whereas I have always said that a government shutdown is not the worst thing that could happen, the worst thing that could happen would be for us to continue to spend like we're spending recklessly. And But – at the same time, we do want to do everything we can to avoid a government shutdown because it's just not good. It's not good for anyone, and it's hard to get out of them. Well, yeah, I mean, how would – if you cannot agree on a – among Republicans on a temporary funding measure, how would you be able to get out of a government shutdown among Republicans? You won't. And, and you know, politically speaking, we'll take the blame for it. We'll take a hit for it, and we always do. And, and that, that's no good. It's not going to accomplish anything at all. So let's do everything we can to avoid a government shutdown. And let's take incremental wins when we can. Let's move right. the ball down the field. And, and no, this would be doing that. Mary. No, it's not, a, it's not a, a long touchdown pass, but it is, it is advancing the ball down the field, and that's good. Right. You're, you're moving toward the, the first, uh, first down. A final question for you, because I know you've got to get to the floor, and we're almost out of time. This is, in part, to work. This is going to require some Democratic votes in the House. Is this going to set up a, a, another attack on the Speaker uh, to, to try to remove a Speaker? Or have the Republicans learned? 
the chaos that that brought on last time. I'm not sure what lessons we've learned, to be quite honest with you, what lessons some members of our conference have learned. I think it's unfair. Mike Johnson inherited this situation. He inherited this mess, if you will. Um, you know, you, you can't really hold him responsible for what he inherited like this, and he's doing the best he can with it. I, you know, I, I personally, I thought it was um, a, a dumb thing to do to vacate the chair and to get rid of Speaker McCarthy. I thought that was a, a, a big error on our part, right. but it is what it is. It's done, and now we we have the same situation with Mike Johnson, and and if we repeat that, then shame on us. Yeah, I don't think the the motion to vacate the chair and get rid of Mike Johnson because of what he's doing here. I think that's just terrible. I don't think the American people would have much patience for that. Congressman Carter, we're out of time. Always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Stick with us, folks. We're back after this. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. Uh, By the way, uh, many of you have already responded to this, but if you would like to pray for the House Speaker as he tries to work through all these many challenges leading the Congress through, which is to all of our benefit that he does, uh, join us in praying for the Speaker. You can do so by texting SPEAKER to 67742. That's 67742, the word SPEAKER or go to frc.org slash housespeaker and join this effort to pray for him. A lot to pray about, even as we continue to pray about the Middle East and what's happening in Israel. Well, Israeli forces continue the war to root out Hamas terrorists responsible for the murderous October 7th attacks. Now, Israeli leaders must also contend with 
United Nations officials, including the Secretary General Antonio Guterres, who referred to Israel's military effort as the, quote, collective punishment of the Palestinian people, end quote. UN officials clearly envision a role for themselves as mediators once the war ends. But how can Israel trust their decisions? Joining me now to discuss this is Congressman Keith Self. He serves on the House Foreign Affairs Committee and the House Veterans Affairs Committee. He represents the 3rd Congressional District of Texas. Congressman Self, welcome back to uh, Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. Great to be here. So, Congressman, I mean, it, it would think, I would think it would be evident to any thinking person that what's happening in Gaza right now is Hamas is hiding behind women and children. But yet you have, like, the secretary general basically being a mouthpiece for Hamas accusing Israel of attacking and killing women and children. Well, that shouldn't surprise us at all. He is a member of the Portuguese Socialist Party. Uh, Anti-Semitism is around the world. Uh, that's why the Human Rights Council of the UN, we see seats that uh, have uh, Afghanistan, Iraq, and Venezuela on it, and yet Israel is not on the Human Rights Council. This is the UN policy and has been for a while. They routinely censure Israel. Uh, in fact, the United States uses our veto authority occasionally to protect Israel from even worse punishment. We're seeing this starting to influence the United States government, uh, of course, with the pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas protests that are taking place on college campuses, on, on the streets and at the White House. We see this hesitation from the Biden administration to stand resolutely with our ally. I mean, we've got to send a clear message. If, if they're not able to eliminate this threat, how can Israel remain safe? Well, Israel has dealt with this since 1948, and there are Iranian sympathizers in the Biden administration. We know them by name, and uh, that's why we're seeing that hesitancy, as you call it. Uh, they are, frankly, can be Iranian sympathizers. And uh, talking about the universities, the protests, uh, our universities have been hotbeds of anti-Americanism, incubators for Marxism for, for years now. So this is no surprise to see it. But frankly, I'm actually uh, seeing the universities get such pushback that they're actually having to moderate their anti-American stance, pro-Palestinian stance. So when this is over, and hopefully sooner rather than later in Israel and Gaza, does the U.N. have a role here? I mean, how can we trust the U.N. in mediating a peace that is also taking into account the security that Israel is looking for? We can't trust the U.N. to do this because, as I've already laid out, they are virulently anti-Israel, and uh, we cannot trust them to do it. Uh, the U.N. builds forces out of countries that want to be paid for their forces that go in. Uh, we've not had very good experience with some of the nations that send uh, troops to do these peacekeeping operations. Uh, they don't have a very good record. I think the United States uh, would be a better player in this because uh, the U.N. cannot be trusted, Tony. I wouldn't trust them to do this because of their, their history with anti-Israel actions. So, so Congressman Self, um, when you look at what's happening here, and you've got a, a, a long history in the United States military and the Army, 
and now sitting on the Foreign Affairs Committee. Are you concerned at this getting out of control in the Middle East with Iran and, you know, with China standing by watching? Do they make a move on Taiwan? Are we at a very, very critical point? Well, we see the uh, evil axis at work here, China, Russia, and Iran. We now have two small wars distracting the United States. And uh, what we need to do is keep our bubble of intelligence around Israel so that we can uh, keep Iran at bay and Iranian surrogates at bay. Uh, that's what we need to be doing to, to keep the fight uh, in Israel proper and in Gaza so that Hezbollah, for instance, uh, doesn't get more involved. The Houthis in Yemen don't get more involved. Uh, so that should be our role today, is to kind of keep a bubble around the war as it is right now. Well, it's also just a reminder, we need to be praying. Uh, the, the world is very volatile right now. This is where leadership is really, really important. We need our leadership to make the right decisions. And we need to be praying they do so. Congressman Keith Self, thanks so much for joining us today. Always great to see you on Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. Thanks for the opportunity. All right, Congressman Keith Self of Texas. It is a reminder we need to be praying. We don't need to be anxious. We don't need to be, you know, concerned. I mean, we need to be concerned, but not worried, not wringing our hands. We need to be praying for our leaders that they would make the right decisions. Pray for Israel. Pray for the peace of Israel. All right, coming up, the left's pursuit of Donald Trump has made clear that if they can't win elections at the ballot box, they want judges to decide the outcome. We're going to talk about lawfare. Next, here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold 
or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this Monday. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Again, let me uh, remind those of you who would like to join us in praying for the House Speaker and Congress. Look, we want them to succeed. We need them to succeed, given all that is happening in this world. So I would encourage you to, uh, to join us in this effort to pray for Speaker Mike Johnson. Text SPEAKER to 67742. That's 67742, the word SPEAKER. Or, as always, you can go to TonyPerkins.com. Through the 2024 presidential election, campaigns are well underway. The left is working to have the contest decided not at the ballot box, but by Democrat judges. With President Biden slumping in the polls and no nationally recognized Democrat willing to step into the arena, the left's election strategy appears to have shifted from winning at the ballot box to jailing or disqualifying their strongest opponent all while claiming that, quote, democracy is on the ballot. How should we respond to this assault on the republic? What do we need to be aware of? How do we know this is happening? Well, joining me now to discuss this is Mike Davis, founder of Article 3 Project. He previously served in all three branches of government, including as chief counsel for nominations to Senate Judiciary Chairman Chuck Grassley in the Department of Justice during the George W. Bush administration and on the staff of the Supreme Court with Justice Neil Gorsuch. Uh, Mike, welcome to Washington Watch. Good to see you. Thank you for having me, Tony. All right. So I, I want to start with, let's just start where we are today. President Trump for over a month has been in a New York courtroom uh, on a, a, a civil charge, civil criminal charge or civil charge of, uh, of fraud. Now, there's no aggrieved party. It's just the attorney general of New York that is uh, pushing this case. But we're seeing these pop up all over. And then we're seeing him being challenged to being on the, for being on the budget as an insurrectionist. So is this a court? Is this a coordinated effort to try to do what they couldn't do politically, destroy Donald Trump? This is absolutely Democrat lawfare and election interference, it is unprecedented. It is very dangerous to democracy that the Democrats pretend like they are protecting. They impeached President Trump twice for nonsense. They indicted him four times for non-crimes. They're trying to bankrupt him. 
for in this civil lawsuit in New York for the non-fraud of a businessman paying back sophisticated Wall Street banks on time in full as agreed with interest. Uh, they're, they're, they're trying to disqualify him from the ballot. They're simply trying to take him off the ballot in several states because this lawfare and election interference is backfiring and President Trump is on a path to beat President Biden like a drum on November 5th. 2024. So they just want to take him off the ballot. So, so Mike, um, in a previous life, back when I was in law enforcement, I, I actually worked in anti-terrorism with the State Department for a while. And one of the things we would do in, in terrorist analysis is that we would connect the dots. We would look at, because you've got all these little separate, appearing to be separate incidents that are occurring out there. Can you connect the dots for us? Where are the connection points with all these things we see happening across the country? Well, a connection point is Joe Biden. Another connection point is George Soros. And Joe Biden is the one who authorized, who waived President Trump's uh, claim of executive privilege uh, that was relayed by Deputy White House Counsel Jonathan Sue, And that paved the way to the unprecedented, unnecessary and unlawful home raid on President Trump for uh, the office of former president for presidential records that the former president president is allowed to have under the presidential records act that was like 16 months ago the article 3 project we've done like 2000 media hits since then warning people that this is coming that this is that this is election interference this is lawfare they they indicted president trump in new york uh for the for for settling a nuisance claim and somehow that became a campaign fi- finance violation they have jack smith uh, Biden's deranged special counsel, along with Democrat DA uh, down in Fulton County, Georgia, Fannie Willis, indicting President Trump for January 6th for the non-crime of objecting to a presidential election, which is allowed by the Electoral Count Act of 1887. Twisting arms politically is allowed by the First Amendment. If it's a crime to object to presidential elections, Democrats would be in prison for objecting to Republican wins in 1968, 2000, 2004, and 2016. I don't see uh, Al Gore and John Kerry and Hillary Clinton in prison for objecting, but that's exactly what they're trying to do to President Trump. And this is lawfare. This is election interference. And Congress needs to step up. They need to cut off funding for these federal and local prosecutors who are engaging in these republic ending tactics. Okay. So I want to go there. Uh, we've got a few minutes to talk about this, but before we go there, because we were just talking with uh, uh, one of the Budget Committee members, uh, we were actually talking about with Andrew Clyde about how the appropriations bills, need, we need to address these types of things in there. So we're going to go there in just a moment. But I, I want to go back to something that you've been tracking that's happening in right now in Colorado. And I, I want you to explain to our, our viewers and our listeners what's happening there in a state court. So this Denver District Judge uh, Sarah Wallace is a new appointee to the bench, to the trial court out here in Colorado. She was appointed by Democrat Governor uh, Jared Polis. She started in January of this year. Governor Polis named her in October of 2022 to start in January of 2023. Uh, or excuse me, in August of 2022 to start in, in January 2023. In October of 2022, this Denver a uh, d- district judge designee before she became a judge donated to an anti-Trump January 6th 
PAC to chase out of office Republicans who supported Trump on January 6th. Now she's presiding over a trial, an anti-Trump January 6th trial to throw President Trump off the ballot. These Democrat operatives and fake Republicans are trying to throw President Trump off the ballot in Colorado to establish a precedent in this blue state with this Democrat judge and these Democrat operatives so they can use this and swing states like Michigan and other states to chase President Trump off okay. the ballot so they can just disqualify him. So, okay, Mike, so how are they trying, what, what are they what are they using to throw him off the ballot? What are they saying? What's the rationale for them removing him from the ballot? They're trying to say that the, the after the Civil War, Congress passed the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to outlaw slavery, provide equal protection, and due process to fle- freed slaves and voting rights to, to the freed male slaves. And as part of the 14th Amendment, these, these Confederate sympathizers who engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the, the Union were winning offices and undermining the post-Civil War Reconstruction effort and the Union. So Congress passed and the, the states ratified Section 3 to the 14th Amendment, which disqualifies those who engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the United States from holding office, right? And there is a case from 18... 69 that says in order to disqualify a U.S. attorney or the federal government has to bring federal charges to a federal grand jury and a federal judge and a federal court. The jury has to uh, to find guilt beyond a reasonable doubt unanimously. The court has to convict and then the, the, the this conviction has to be upheld on appeal. That's the only way you can that you can disqualify. Has that happened? No, it's it's not. Congress passed this statute in 1870, they updated it again, again in 1948. Jack Smith and January 6th, uh, the January 6th committee, Jack Smith, the Biden Justice Department have spent tens of millions of dollars in years hunting for evidence of insurrection. It doesn't exist, right? That otherwise, Jack Smith would have charged Trump with insurrection. How many insurrectionists get to the Senate floor of a nation's capital, uh, take selfies, walk through velvet ropes and follow police direction and don't burn down the place. January 6th was a lawful protest permitted by the National Park Service that got out of control and devolved into a riot. So you have a state. Let me make sure I get this correct. Correct me if I'm wrong. You have a state judge in Colorado that is presiding over a trial in which someone has accused President Trump Trump, uh, former President Trump, of being an insurrectionist. Therefore, he should be taken off of the ballot in Colorado, this being an example or an encouragement to other states to do the same. Is that is that correct? That's exactly right. And this this Denver district judge is going to hear closing arguments on November 15th, Wednesday, November 15th. And she said by Friday, uh, by close of business on Friday, November 17th, she is going to rule. I guarantee you she is going to disqualify President Trump from the ballot here in Colorado. This, this is crazy. This is, I mean, he's, he's not been, as you said, the, the, the president has to be charged, at least charged, and then, but he's not even been charged, so he hasn't been tried, he hasn't been convicted, he hasn't even been charged with insurrection. So how in the world can they do this in Colorado? Well, I mean, they put January 6th defendants in the D.C. gulag for months and months and months without charges. These are these aren't Democrats. Today's Democrats don't seem to care too much about due process and equal protection of law and following the law. They care about lawfare. They care about power. They care about winning elections and they care about 
destroying anyone who gets in their way. And they're destroy they're trying to destroy President Trump now. And what people need to understand is this doesn't stop with President Trump. They are going after Christians praying outside of abortion clinics. They are going after parents outraged by gender chaos and the resulting rapes in high school bathrooms. These this is not our parents or grandparents Democrat Party. These aren't liberals who love America. These are leftists who hate America. These are Marxist. So this is why you say this is about the future of the republic. This is this is dismantling our rule of law in this country if this is allowed to go forward. Therefore, what you have proposed is that the Republicans who control the House and have the ability to control the purse strings make this a top priority or all this other stuff is just academic discussion. These, this Democratic lawfare, this, this election interference by the Democrats, these are Republic-ending tactics. Think about how the Roman Republic fell, right? It was because Caesar crossed the Rubicon from Gaul into Rome because the Roman insiders were engaging in lawfare against him, and it led to the fall of the Roman Republic. Does anyone really think that President Trump is going to turn the other cheek when he's back in the White House? This is going to lead to a legal tit-for-tat that's going to destroy our country. And this is why House Republicans need to end this. And I want to commend Andrew Clyde, Congressman Andrew Clyde from Georgia, for taking up two appropriations writers that the Article Three Project has been championing to cut off federal funding to Jack Smith and these federal prosecutors and these state prosecutors who are pursuing major presidential candidates on or before November 5th, 2024. They waited 30 months to bring these charges against Trump. They timed them, stack these charges back to back, stack the trials back to back to interfere with the election. They can wait until after the election. Okay. And that's what Andrew Clyde's writer does. All right. I, I, I want to one question before we get to the actual the, the, these funding tools, who's choreographing this? Who's, who's calling the shots here? Who's the puppet master? Uh, you know, I, I, I'd say it's coming from the Biden White House because Jonathan Sue clearly greenlighted the illegal home raid on President Trump uh, back in August of 20 or June. Of, uh, I'm sorry, August of 2022 that started all this. But it's these Soros prosecutors who are coordinating with the Biden administration uh, with Merrick Garland, with Jack Smith, uh, this uh, this is pretty. This is very dangerous. What these Democrats are doing, we're not going to have a country left if they're successful. If they think that they're just going to take President Trump off the ballot, who's leading, who's the leading presidential candidate, and the American people are just going to be fine with that and say, okay, let's move on because Trump is gone. That's not going to work. Anybody who ever sticks their head up and challenges the left will face the same treatment. So, I mean, this is about restoring justice in this country. Okay, we're almost out of time, Mike Davis. So I want to two appropriations areas that you focus on. You made reference to them, but I want to be very clear with our listeners. So as we are working through these appropriations bills, that's a big part of the discussion taking place right now in the country is in the House appropriations Two specific appropriation writers that you've talked about. Summarize those for us so we can give our folks their homework. So if the federal government wants to continue to have funding, if these Democrat hellholes want to continue to have their funding like New York, D.C., Atlanta, they need to stop their lawfare. They need to stop their election interference. This is unprecedented. So they can pause their cases until after the presidential uh, presidential election, because the American people, not these Democrat prosecutors in D.C., New York, 
in Atlanta going to decide the next presidential election. And that's so Congress, Congress has the ability to, number one, for the federal government, cut off the spigot, say, hey, no election interference. You cannot go after a presidential candidate until after the election. So you can't make these things up, right? I mean, that's been the policy of the Justice Department for 200 and some, 250 years until now. But it's now, not it's now. Like, yeah. And so this would just restore the norm that you don't go after major presidential candidates during a presidential election, especially on bogus charges. And that's what Jack Smith has brought against President All right, Trump. Very quickly, controlling the money at the state level. How do they do that to keep these local jurisdictions? Well, d- does does New York, does uh, does 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 New York, does Atlanta, does Georgia, do they want to keep getting federal funding? Uh, if they if they do, they're going to pause these prosecutions until after the election. All right. Mike Davis, great uh, information. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us today and uh, laying all this out. Thank you so much. All right. Mike Davis with the Project Three. I think that's the name of it. Doing great work. Um, this is really important. And this is uh, something else that we need to be adding to our prayer list. We need to be praying. And these things need to be resolved. So we need to pray for our members of Congress that they would have the courage to tackle these issues. I mean, I think he's right. I think these are republic-ending tactics that we see. History would tell us that. All right, folks, out of time. But Lord willing, we'll be back again tomorrow. I hope will as well. Until then, I leave you once again with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 